to today's podcast. I am hanging out with one of my favorite people in the world. It's someone I literally, uh, we just met in, in digitally, I guess you could say, for the first time. His name is Richard Koch. He is the uh, author of the best-selling book, The 80-20 Principle. He was also formerly a consultant with the Boston Consulting Group and a partner of Bain and Company. He has been an incredibly successful investor as well. Uh, after his working career, and uh, one of, in my opinion, one of the smartest uh, business strategists uh, alive today, and someone I've learned so much from, in fact, that I've purchased his books and sent them to all kinds of students and clients and friends and family members. Uh, Richard, great to uh, to be here with you today. Jason, it's great to talk to you as well, and thank you very much indeed for your very kind introduction, and also for letting me have access to all of your wonderful listeners. Hello, wonderful listeners. Uh, which is fantastic. I'm told that you have a million followers and I'm deeply jealous. But anyway, despite that, it's a great pleasure talking to you. <laughs> it is great to talk with you too. And, you know, as great as having a million followers is, it's funny because when you go to Wells Fargo or Bank of America and you try and deposit the followers, it doesn't work as currency. So, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure it's quite useful um, for, for all boys. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. So uh, we won't, we won't go, go into the ins and outs of all that sort of thing because that will take us uh, into too much of a cul-de-sac. But anyway, it's very, very nice to be here. And thank you also for being one of the very few people who interviews me who actually pronounces my name correctly. That, that is also fantastic. And thank you also for mentioning the 80-20 principle because that was the thing that really, I think, uh, launched my writing career. It wasn't my first book, but I think it was the third or fourth. But, you know, it's been phenomenally successful. I always attribute the success to the fact that I didn't come up with the idea. That was Mr. Vilfredo Pareto, the Italian economist at the end of the 19th century. Uh, but I did reinterpret it a little bit and extend it to all sorts of things, including people's personal lives, where I think it's very, very useful. So, um, yeah, I don't know if you're going to talk about that a little bit, but uh, if not, I ask your wonderful million followers to each buy a copy of the book and that would almost double the sales of the book because it, it has actually sold a million copies. Uh, but that's in 40 different languages, so I'm cheating a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's an unbelievable uh, phenomenon, uh, the 80-20 principle. And what's amazing about it is it's not, it's not a theory. It's something that was observed, right? Exactly, exactly. It's not a theory, it's an observation. And one economist uh, in the 1950s said, you know, it's, it's this riddle that nobody can explain, but which actually everyone can observe. And that's true. I mean, and uh, it, it occurs in all sorts of strange ways. Uh, I think probably my favourite example is something that Bill Bryson, the Australian author, came up with. And, and he said, do you know there are 30,000 edible plants but only 11 out of the 30,000 edible plants, things like barley and wheat and rice and potatoes and so on, are consumed by 99.99% of uh, people or 99% of um, the volume of food. So, you know, that's, that is a, uh, a zero 99 relationship because to the nearest round number, that 11 out of 30,000 is, is zero. So, I mean, it's, it, it also, you know, it, it comes in things like, uh, you know, your clothes. You wear very, very few of your clothes, at least I do, and I think everyone that I've ever talked to, um, a great deal of the time, your favourite clothes. And it also applies to things which are very, very important, like time. 
you know, most of our lives actually are not particularly significant in terms of um, the impact that has on us in terms of happiness or achievement or money or anything. Uh, if you study anyone who's been phenomenally successful, it's usually because of a very, very small proportion of their time. They just make a breakthrough uh, in an idea or a business or whatever. And uh, people always say they're very short of time, and I also say I'm short of time, but it's a complete lie. Because we're not short of time. What we're short of is, is the ability to make good use of time. And uh, the 80-20 principle certainly applies that it's a very, very small amount of our time which um, has the results either to make us happy, even things like um, even things like your friends. You know, I'm always amazed that people, and I, I've done this myself as well, you know, they spend time with people that they don't really want to spend time with uh, because they're under some kind of obligation or maybe their spouse or partner, you know, uh, likes likes a couple or likes someone and the other party doesn't. But, I mean, we end up spending time with people who are convenient. You know, they might be neighbours or they might be employees or whatever, rather than with the people we really want to spend time with, the people who really give us happiness. So, you know, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful observation which applies to so many different things. And um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's one of the best principles or ideas that anyone's ever come up with, and it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> I so when I think about eighty twenty, and I definitely want to talk a lot with you about uh, how it applies to business strategy, particularly yeah. for startups. I but I would love to hear: Are there a couple examples of how you have applied the eighty twenty principle to your life in terms of maybe your happiness or how you spend your time now? Yes, I think so. I mean, when I you, you mentioned uh, BCG and Bain and Company, but there was also a company that I co-founded called LEK, and I spent six years sort of building that business up. And so I was working as a management consultant for I suppose about fifteen years in total. Uh, for between my mid-twenties and just at the end of my thirties. And at the end of that period, after I'd done what I wanted to do and made some money out of it and also, you know, um, started a company that's still going very strong and very, very successful and has influenced the lives particularly, not just of clients, but I'm much more interested in the people who actually work in the firm. Uh, you know, I decided at that stage that... I didn't want to work 60 hours a week, uh, 60 hours a week, you know, six days a week anymore. And then I said to myself, well, where do I actually want to live? What makes me happy in terms of location? Obviously, it depends on the people that you're with and friends and so on and so forth. But, but I, I suddenly realised that I was happiest when I was living in the sunshine. I mean, it's a very simple thing. Um, and in fact... It's very personal because that all the data that I've seen suggests that people who live in really sunny, pleasant places aren't necessarily any happier than people who don't. But I certainly am. And my, my theory is that the explanation for that discrepancy is that I grew up in Britain, which is not the sunniest place in the world. And uh, I appreciate the fact that I can go and sit by my fish pond in the sun and think and uh, or read, you know, do, do whatever I want to do. Uh, or I can go for a cycle ride and be pretty sure that, that uh, the weather will be uh, good enough 
pretty much the whole year round where I am. So I just decided I would, um, I would, you know, stay in the sunshine. And just that re recognition that the small amount of time that I had previously spent in the sunshine had made me a lot happier, made me able to raise my general level of happiness. So now it doesn't necessarily apply because, uh, because I'm more or less in the sunshine the whole year round. Uh, either in uh, Portugal or in Cape Town or in Australia. So, um, yeah, it's not always true that the 80-20 principle applies, but you have to work jolly hard to defeat it uh, the, way that, the way that I did. And, you know, also I, I also did this analysis of my, of my friends and I did discover, it sounds very crass and crude, but actually I took the top 20 people that I spent most of my time with. And I, I said to myself, actually, would I really, really be upset if I never saw some of those people again? Uh, and the answer was, no, I wouldn't actually. And there were other people who were not in the top 20 who I, I suddenly realized there were people that I would like to spend more time with. And so I've, I've tried hard to engineer uh, this and it's it, it is one of the most difficult things to engineer if you're you know if you're pursuing a particular career but once you've got beyond that it's very easy and uh, people just don't do it I mean I just think you know happiness is the people that you enjoy seeing and talking to and having fun with every day and you know that's that's been my intention um, and I, I you know I, I wouldn't say I've done it 100% but I've certainly come much closer than most people do. And I just, I just recommend that to everyone. Spend time with the people that you really, really like. The people that you can help the most, the people who can help you the most, and the people that you are fondest of. And, you know, that will make you a lot happier. And the other, th the other thing which I also try, try and get people to do, but it is, it's quite difficult. We all have things that we hate. And in fact, things that, that actually degrade our time and make us unhappy um, and they can be very simple things so I invented the concept of happiness islands and unhappiness islands and I said you know happiness islands are the things that make that when you do them you're nearly always happy and unhappiness item, uh, islands are the ones where you, you actually are very unhappy and for me there were two things that made me very unhappy that I spent quite a bit of time with. Um, one of them was traffic, because <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> detest being stuck in traffic. I think it's a, I don't know if it's a, a form of claustrophobia or whatever. I I'm not claustrophobic in respect of anything else, but being stuck in a traffic jam, it just is hugely frustrating for me. And I will drive miles and miles and miles to avoid it and probably, and probably take far more time uh, if I can avoid a traffic jam. Nowadays, of course, with technology, you, you, you can do that. Um, the other thing which I absolutely hated was lawyers. <laughs> and actually, a couple of my best friends are lawyers. Uh, I know people always say, you know, the group that you're not really socially allowed to disapprove of, uh, or some, some of my best friends are them. But, but, but uh, it is true that a couple of my best friends um, were and still are lawyers. But in general, I just find it so frustrating 
to you know get involved in a deal where you actually have to deal with lawyers because they are so pedantic uh, and of course there are good reasons for that it's because they have to follow certain rules and so on and so forth i i just think the world would be far better off if we managed to abolish all lawyers not not kill them off but just get them retrained and doing something useful <laughs> yeah just turn them into sushi chefs or something like that, <laughs> yes right? yeah. or, or or you know i mean some of and the happiness islands one of the things i realized is that is that i do really like uh making big and bold bets um i, I sort of you know i've always enjoyed gambling the trouble is that most gambling, the odds are very much against you and the house takes the percentage and, you know, you, you, you just can't win. I, I actually like gambling and winning. The only form of gambling that I've ever come across where you can actually win is in business. And I just think that's amazing. I mean, I think you have to follow certain rules and have certain ideas and principles behind it. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing... I wouldn't say it's easy... But I would say it's possible and it's incredibly enjoyable when you when you do that. And I think a lot of people think that. I mean, I think the reason why a lot of people are entrepreneurs is not really that they necessarily want to make a lot of money because they want to spend a lot of money, although some people do. Uh, I certainly don't. You know, I'm, I'm one of the meanest people I know in terms of spending, not spending money. But, but you know, nevertheless, it's winning and it's the game. And it's the idea that you can actually win, you know, where there's a lot of money at stake. And I just that just gives me a, a completely irrational and no doubt uh, 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 something we should probably disapprove of <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> so it's, maybe it's a vice, but it's something that I very much enjoy doing. So anyway, the, the basic principle which people might want to follow is just make a list of the things that you really hate the situations that you're in that you really hate. And, you know, I was I would say that, that, you know, if you if you have a phobia, you dislike snakes, then for for goodness sake, don't go to the zoo, you know, and and so on and so forth. You know, it is possible to structure your life to avoid the things you really dislike and to spend a great deal more time on the things that you really like. And, you know, many people think that's hedonistic and sort of you know pleasure principle and rather superficial and all the rest of it i don't believe that at all because i think when people are enjoying themselves they are more likely to be creative and to think of an idea for example for a great business or think of an idea for you know a, a great social good you know a, a philanthropic project um a way to help somebody you're much more likely to do that if you're in a good mood. You're much more likely to do that if you're relaxed and healthy and have a good life. So I think being selfish is the least selfish thing that anyone can do. You know, you've got to structure your life in a way that you enjoy it and that, you know, you can be useful to other people. And, you know, it isn't a good idea to do things that you don't like doing. It really isn't. So... One thing that I've noticed a lot with people when they first hear about 80-20 and you know, doing some of the things that you're talking about is there's this, this never-ending barrage of attempts from other people or other forces to get them to spend time or invest time or focus into what you would call the trivial many. Right. Like someone is trying to 80, 20, they're trying to focus on the vital few things that will produce the greatest results. And yet they keep getting like a siren call called back into the trivial many, whether it's 
text messages or emails or phone calls or people trying to, you know, you're an employee and your boss throws a bunch of busy, meaningless work on you, et cetera. Um, it's almost like there's the, the, the tyranny of the trivial that's always coming for you um, when you're first learning this. That's I, a great why? phrase, the t tyranny of the trivial. I, I love that. I think that I, I, I haven't used that phrase, but I will. That's, that's a great. Yeah, I mean, life is like that, isn't it? But you have to, and technology makes it far, far worse. I mean, my God, all the time that people spend on their digital devices, uh, and, you know, I'm not totally without guilt myself, but, 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 you know, I don't, you know, I don't, when I go out, for example, I never take my phone with me unless, unless I'm traveling on business uh, or on pleasure for that matter. But, you know, I mean, it is, it is very, very important to work out ways around those things. And you can, but you just have to think a little bit about it and not be a slave to other people's expectations. You know, a lot of people think that they have to respond to emails that are sort of work-related, even if they're home, weekend, at night. You just don't have to do it. You know, one of the great things that I discovered about five years ago, and it, you'll laugh, I hope, uh, which is you don't have to answer emails. <laughs> You know, even if it's uh, even if it's someone that you know quite well, you know, you don't have to. It's, there's no obligation to do that. Uh, and a lot of people send me a lot of emails that I treat with what uh, a British politician called uh, George Brown used to call a complete ignoral. <laughs> <laughs> and do you? I mean, do you ever feel guilty about that? Or no, I don't. I've trained myself not to. When I started not answering emails, I felt I did feel quite guilty. And I said to myself, Richard, you know, these people have written to you. You didn't ask them to write to you. Even people that you know, you didn't ask them to write to you. And, uh, you know, I, I yep. computed that I spent a lot of time answering emails, which were a waste of time for me and probably a waste of time for the recipient because... You know, I wasn't thinking, you know, I wasn't going to say anything terribly useful if I was sort of, you know, just doing it as a, a duty, an obligation, you know. And I think we have to free ourselves from these things, not just with emails, but with a lot of things. You know, there is a limited time that we have on this planet. We have a, a limited time to do things which can really help other people, be very creative, make a lot of money. You know, whatever you want to do, you know, it's a limited amount of time. And as I said earlier, you know, the problem is not really the shortage of time. But the problem is that we spend so much time on things that don't matter. We spend so much time on things that don't generate good results. And if you just make it your decision to only do things that are relatively easy for you or take a relatively short amount of time or that you can do far better than anybody else and say, so I'm not going to do anything that doesn't fall into one of those buckets and I'm not going to do anything that doesn't stand a chance, at least, of generating great results. Peter Drucker is probably the uh, management writer outside the area of strategy because he hadn't got a clue about business strategy in my view. But, but Peter Drucker, I think, was a great, a great, great, great management philosopher. And the one thing that he always made sure of, that the red thread that runs through everything that Peter Drucker wrote, uh, 
And it didn't make it tedious because it was sort of, you know, it was incarnated in a huge number of different things, was results. You know, well, the Pareto principle, the 80-20 principle, actually not only concentrates on the things that uh, generate results, so you can actually look at a bar chart which says, you know, you get uh, 80% of results from 20% of the inputs or whatever, but it also looks at the inputs, so, you know, I mean, Drucker never sort of, you know, caught up with Alfredo Pareto, in my view, because it, it results are half of the story. But the other half of the story is the pain, the angst, the anxiety, the worry, the time, the cost, the waste of people, other people's time, which things cost. And so, you know, I'm constantly trying to think to myself, and it's a daily battle because life drags you away from it. You know, what can I do today which is actually going to have great results and I will either enjoy it or it will take a relatively small amount of my time and preferably both of those things. So, you know, if and you just... You just run your life every day thinking, you know, what is relatively easy or pleasurable for me to do and what is or could generate fantastic results. And if you just have that mindset, the 80-20 mindset, then your life will be totally transformed. Uh, it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not selling something here which doesn't work. It works fantastically well. But the problem is not doing it. It's not that it can't be done.